You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. My name is Ben Legasse. I'm one of the elders here on staff. And Happy New Year. You know, it's a great New Year passage, right? (laughs) Yeah, this one's going to be a little bit of a weird one, but... I'm like really excited to be up here. Um, I've been on staff for about the past five years, but as you can probably tell if you're a regular, I'm not usually one of the ones up here. And so it's just really fun to be up here with you guys. So strap in, um, we'll we'll have a good time. But this one will be a little bit of a weird passage. Um, And I was reminded of this passage a little bit recently, right before Christmas, um, I got a text message. This is probably hitting y'all's phones too a lot, but it looks something like this. And y'all got to realize, like, I had a background in IT, um, specifically, like, IT security. And so I'm, like, really paranoid when it comes to this stuff. But this one almost got me. I mean, it was right before Christmas. It's like, hey, there's a package coming. You know, I'm scrambling, getting everything together. Um, but your address is wrong. Like, click here to, you know, update it. So obviously, like, the scammiest scam text ever. But this one, like, almost got me. And I was really just sitting there taking it all in. I think this is one of the reasons why... I am such a fan of a guy named Mark Rober. Um, He's a YouTuber. Some of you guys might have seen his stuff. He does these videos. He's like a former NASA engineer. He does these videos where he exposes scammers and and specifically like porch pirates. So people that go steal packages off of. So this is like, this is like my version of a Hallmark movie. I mean, I, 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 I snuggle up on the couch with hot chocolate and just watch this wholesome revenge prank. Um, nobody gets hurt. It's cool. Some people do go to jail, I think, but, uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, definitely recommend it. It's, it's, it's a good time. So that's why I enjoy it. This scam text that I got um, reminded me of this passage, mainly because, like you, you saw and we'll see in a minute, it's, it's got like a real like scam alert vibe to it. You know, Paul, Paul's kind of doing it. So we'll, we'll just jump right in, and we're going to start in Colossians 2, verse 8. So he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Okay, so see to it, no one takes you captive. Um, We're going to take a closer look at this passage specifically because scams are the things that are not very obvious, and that's why they get us so much of the time. So we're just going to do some simple look back at the historical context of this passage, hopefully help you understand what's going on here. We're going to look at some practical ways that we fall for scams and then hopefully see how we can respond to some of these situations. So contextually, what's happening here is there's a young church plant in a town called Colossi. So this is like a town in modern day, like Western Turkey. And a guy named Epaphras was uh, the guy that, as best we can tell, that planted this church there. So he has traveled all the way from Colossi to Rome to ask the Apostle Paul for some help. So he's like, hey, I've got some people in my church that are teaching these things that are just like really, really confusing. They're, they're wrong. They're not what Jesus taught. They're distorting the gospel. And apparently that's what we see there. So he, he's gone all the way up there to ask Paul for help. And Paul then has written this letter to the church at Colossae to help straighten things out and give some encouragements. Encourage you to read the whole book. There's a whole lot in there that's really, really good and helpful. But apparently the problem that they were dealing with was that people were doing things like adding to the gospel. They were distorting the gospel. They were adding these rules, these regulations. They were ultimately leading people away from Jesus and and distorting what he taught. So let's skip down to Colossians 2, verse 16. This is what Kendall read a second ago. 
He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. It's probably talking about like Jewish dietary law restrictions. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So again, these are Jewish like festivals they were expected to observe. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, right? That's like um, withholding physical pleasure um, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So first off, like I said at the, the, the front end, you, you probably hear this passage and it just feels like so far from you. I mean, it's just like, I live my life. I go to work, we got problems, we got relational conflicts, like we got finances to worry about. This feels extremely distant to me. I mean, I'm not worshiping angels. I don't know how to connect with this. So one thing I think we need to realize that, this, that a passage like this is specifically valuable to us because it pulls you out of that routine of life. Like it pulls your head up from all the things that are, that are clamoring for your attention. And it says, hey, remember, there's, there's like big things at, at play here, that, that this life is not very long. And, and the things that we believe about God carry an eternal significance to them. So it, it, it's kind of like doing that for us by design. So we also share a common condition with these Colossians. So we, just like them, are very like default, open and vulnerable to persuasion. Like we, we are easily led astray. If you think you're not, you're the perfect candidate. You know, like you're, you're the very one that will get scammed. I mean, even, even people that specialize in dealing with scams and frauds fall, fall prey to it. Just, it just takes the right circumstance. So we share that with them. And we're going to look at some ways that, that we fall for scams of the gospel ourselves. Okay, so first, verse 18. He mentions, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but he mentions specifically these charismatic leaders that, that have visions. So he says that they go on in detail um, about these visions and they're puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. So Paul's just pointing out that you'll know them by their attitude. Um, they'll, they'll come with like a sort of air of, of maybe spiritual superiority and they'll, um, in their time and in our time, claim these, these kind of special revelations, these special experiences with God that you don't have. Um, and so they're the secret to like unlock it. And so come follow me, you know. Um, so he says, that's how you can recognize them. Um, another way that we're deceived is we believe that we somehow need to add to the gospel, like I mentioned before. So we see like in verse 16, for some reason, as I was thinking about this, I mean, throughout my life, I, I, I realized it's, it's really hard. It was really hard for me to accept that a simple faith in Jesus was enough. That, that, that faith in Jesus, that, that he lived this perfect life for us, he died this death that we deserved, and by faith we can receive forgiveness and be made with, right with God, that that simple faith was enough. It was really tough for me to believe. So I remember whenever I was a new believer, um, but was still kind of like following the same crowd of, uh, with my friends that were not following Jesus, and we would, we would do the things that the world does, right? We'd go party, we'd go drink, and afterwards I remember just like feeling terrible about it. I mean, I felt... I just, I just felt icky about what, what I'd done. But I would go beyond remembering the gospel and I would add stuff. I would be like, oh gosh, I'm gonna go read my Bible. I'm gonna go pray for a really long time. 
I think I would even make like these emotional promises to God. You know, like, God, I promise I'll, I'll never do this and I'll go do this. And, and like, I was, I was basically trying to like add, add more to the gospel and like change this simple faith. And I think it's because like, I just didn't have a concept for unconditional love like we see in the Bible. Like I did not have a, a, a category for it. I didn't understand what forgiveness looked like. And I think looking back, I was confusing two similar but distinct concepts in that, okay? So the two concepts were repentance and penance. Another real churchy words. But repentance, I learned, repentance is like this authentic whole person turning away from your sin and to God. Whereas penance is just this like external show of remorse. I knew penance. Let me explain. Uh, When I got pulled over for speeding in high school, Penance, okay? Knock, knock, roll the window down, you know, officer, external display of remorse. I'm so sorry. I, I would even maybe sprinkle a couple of lies in there to, to, to help, like, I never do this, you know? I'm so sorry, officer. Uh, I'll never do this again, you know? I'm sure he's never heard that before. But I was really good at that external, external remorse, and I think I was, I was confusing those things. My, my motive, for sure, was just to get out of that ticket. So I knew penance. My motive was not to turn from the sin of, you know, breaking the law and like genuinely, you know, obey um, like, the, like the Bible kind of commands us to. So to get back to the text, I think that's part what we see here. People were adding something like penance to the gospel. And they were saying you had to follow Jesus, but you also had to show it in these specific ways with the dietary restrictions or showing up to these festivals. And so they were just adding hoops to jump through in addition to believing in Jesus. And so that's, that's how they distorted it. Um, another practical way that we can stray from the simplicity of the gospel is, for some reason, we, we think that, that cultural traditions can save us. What I mean by that, um, I'll give you some examples from my life. I didn't, I didn't grow up in church, so if you're, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, like you're among friends, and <laughs> like I totally understand where you're coming from. But we see like in verse 20 um, through 23, he says, if you died, um, if with Chris, if with Christ, Chris, Chris is my brother. This is not Chris. Um, if with Christ, please don't die with Chris. Uh, uh, if with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, elemental spirits of the world, that's just talking about probably an ancient, ancient world. So much of their life was ruled by like the movement of the planets and the stars and like the calendar. And, and there was, there was, they were ruled by these other things. He's saying, hey, if you died to those things, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations, these old things? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And he goes on to say, you know, these things have an appearance of wisdom, uh, but they, they actually have no value. So, like I said, I didn't grow up um, in church. Um, I grew up in Richardson. It's, it's like north, north of Dallas area. And I became a Christian through the Ministry of Young Life. They're like a group that specifically tries to reach high school students. Um, and later in my life, when I looked back, I remember, like, I was struggling to reconcile some of my memories back then. And one of the memories specifically was this kind of cultural tradition that I remember where me and the other guys in the group, this is before I was a Christian, um, we, we would all be wearing these cross necklaces, okay? If you were wearing a cross necklace, much love. Like, they're, they're cool. That's fine. But for us, I mean, I had no idea what the Bible said. I had no idea really, like, what the gospel was and who Jesus was. But I remember back then, just culturally, it was just like what you did. We just wore these, you know, big silver ones with like some stuff around them or 
or the, the skinny gold one that was popular with the skinny you know, gold chain. And I was just thinking like, man, we had this symbol around our neck, this symbol that represented so much, you know, when you actually know what it's about. The sacrificial way of Jesus pictured in this, in this cross around our neck and like on display for people to see like, hey, I identify with Jesus. This is this guy who claimed to be God, that, that claimed to die for our sins. I identify with that. But I mean, I had, no, I had no idea what was going on back then. So, I mean, it took, me, it took me a while to realize, like, this discrepancy. And I for sure think if you had asked me back then, like, hey, Ben, I see that cross around your neck. Tell me, like, wh- what do you love about Jesus? You know, why, so much that you're willing to wear, wear that around your neck. Like, what do you love about Jesus? I would have given you just the blankest of stares. I mean, I had no idea. I mean, I remember uh, reading later in, like, Mark eight thirty five, where um, Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I mean, if you had asked me, hey, Ben, why do you give your life for Jesus' sake and the gospel? I would have had no idea what you were talking about, you know? And so these, these, these cultural traditions were just so mixed in with like a real genuine faith in Jesus. And that's, that's our context. I mean, that's specifically, I think, what we see in America and in, in, in the South where we're at. Um, another way that we see this sometimes is, um, you know, it's, it's just hard to tell if you see like a Bible verse in somebody's bio on Instagram, it's, it's really hard to know. I mean, do they, do they know and love Jesus or, or are they projecting a version of themselves in order to fit in culturally? And again, I get that. Like I, I, that, I was that person too. Like I tried to fit in and didn't know what, what was going on. But another way that we see this cultural confusion, I think, in Lubbock is you can only live here so long before somebody will ask you something along the lines of, like, hey, where do you go to church? You know, it'll just come up. Now, if you don't have a church background, you hear that question, you're like, whoa, like, a bit invasive there. I don't think, you know, it's a bit, you know, making some assumptions. I mean, we don't even know each other. Like, you're asking me about this church stuff, this religious stuff. But it'll happen anyway. And just like good humans do. Um, we, we adapt. Uh, we learn to just say something, you know, I go to such and such church. I, you know, I'm supposed to say something here, you know, uh, or I go to Redeemer, you know, and, and the translations usually maybe I went like one time or I heard my friends talk about this church and it was really good. And so we just learned to adapt. And my point in this is that we just don't realize what's happening in those moments where, where we don't understand maybe what the Bible says in the gospel but we're, we're missing the gospel to fit in culturally. And so we kind of replace genuine faith with these cultural traditions and we fit in, but we totally miss the gospel. And so that's, that's the problem that's kind of at hand. Okay, so before we look at some ways that, that we can respond to this, I just wanted to point out, I think there's one main reason why we fall victim to scams like this. And the reason is a lack of experience, a lack of experience. So um, if you have experience with something, it's going to be much more difficult to uh, fall prey to getting, getting fooled. For instance, you guys know this. I mean, if I had my, my 12-year-old middle school over uh, here and I had like a seasoned bank teller uh, from the Texas Tech Credit Union on, on my right hand, and I gave each of them like a counterfeit $20 bill, I mean, who's going to be able to recognize it the quickest? For sure, it's going to be the one that's like handled currency for, for years, they know, what, they know what a $20 bill feels like. They know how it bends. They know what markings should be on it. I mean, they can spot it because they've had experience with the real thing. 
And so for us, um, when we, if we don't have experience, for instance, with things like God's word, then we're going to struggle to know when somebody is using it to deceive us. So the less experience we have, I think the more vulnerable we are in, in that regard. And another way that this plays out, I would say, like, and I, I would relate to this too, even if you spent time reading the Bible in years past, if in a season of your life in the past, you really spent a lot of time in God's word and studying it, the, the same thing can happen where if over time, the further you, you drift away from God in your everyday life, right? If those, those habits and those practices of spending time with him slip and, and over time you drift away from God, you become vulnerable as well. Like you, you become more open to, you know, things, things like these persuasive arguments like, like Paul mentioned. You become vulnerable to just in general things pulling your attention, pulling your affections away from Jesus and away from his mission. I mean, Jesus even specifically referenced this when he was given the, the parable of the sower in Mark 4. He said, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in, and they choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So, I mean, maybe you just look up one day and, and your faith isn't very strong, and there's, there's so much distance between you and God, um, between you and his word, between you and God's people, the church, um, and you've just been going about your life, you know, slowly drifting, um, maybe even more so during, during the holidays like this. And if that's the case, like, you probably feel it. I mean, today, this morning, you, you probably feel that, that relational distance between you and God. So how should we respond? How should we take all this stuff and, and respond to it? Well, I think just like we started with, I think we should see to it that no one takes us captive. Okay? You, you have to take an active part in this to see to it that no one takes us captive, okay? First, I think a good place to start for us is just starting by admitting we're vulnerable. Like just admitting and going to God in humility and honesty and saying, God, I, I feel vulnerable. I feel far from you. I feel like I've not been, been like practicing and, and, and experiencing you regularly and just admit that to him. And second, I think just like in Colossians chapter three, verse one, this is just a little bit further down in our passage. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So the things that are above are these spiritual truths from God's word, right? But he's saying, like, set your minds on them. So read them, meditate on them, think about them, study them, examine them even. Just like the Bereans in Acts 17, who, who it says, received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if what was being taught was true. So we commit, we should commit to set our minds on the things that are above. And again, not just be pulled into the routine and all the things clamoring for our attention. For me, since I first believed, um, this has meant really becoming like a student of God's word. So... Um, something unlocked in my mind by God's grace at some point along the way where I realized I, I cannot take somebody else's word for what the Bible says. Like I can't take someone's word for what God is like. I have to experience him firsthand. And I've got to read his word firsthand and directly. And by God's grace, I, I started to, to see and understand and, and people helped me, people, people showed me this. My identity had to shift 
Like I, I, couldn't, I couldn't just um, live as, as like this cultural version of a Christian, but I had to shift my identity to a disciple, like the Bible talks about, like a disciplined follower of a master, like, like even a student. The student imagery is, is really helpful, like learning from Jesus. And so practically for me, you know, what that meant in my life um, during that time was I even started reframing the way I interacted on Sunday mornings with the gathered church, like during a worship service. I would, um, I had to like change my posture. So, you know, where, whereas before I probably just kind of like sat back and kind of reclined and just relaxed and hey, preacher man saying nice things, that's great, and went about my, my way. I had to change my posture. I started like leaning forward whenever I was sitting. That's really, I'm not trying to be legalistic about it, but just like me, <laughs> I'd like literally lean forward and I had to start bringing like a notebook and like taking notes and listening and, and, and asking God to show me what he's trying to teach me from his word. Like my posture had to change. Um, I also had to shift from this, uh, this kind of cultural norm, especially in West Texas, where like your relationship with God is completely, you know, surrounded on Sunday mornings. I had to shift from just doing church on Sundays to, to walking with God in my everyday life and like experiencing him throughout the week. And so that meant like me by myself taking time to pray and read his, read his word and like learn on my own. I mean, yeah, when we get together and gather like, we need to be encouraging each other as well. But um, this, this shift had to happen in my, my identity and my mind to become really like a student of God's word. So as we consider these things about setting our minds on the things that are above and not just being pulled into the routine, um, we have to realize, too, that this is not just an individual thing. I know I've been giving some individual examples. But um, in Colossians 3.16, this is a little bit further down, he gives a list of encouragements to the church but this, this verse specifically, um, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We've talked about, about this before here at Redeemer, but that you is a plural you. So he's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing together, singing psalms, singing hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So I just think it's worth noting that God's design for us is that we do these things together. And and I think a fair question that you could ask yourself would be, man, as I think about my month, um, are there ever times when I'm gathered together with other people and, and God's word is the focus and topic of our discussion? Is there ever an intentional time when I'm with other people and the word of God is our focus and our topic? Because if not, I just think, Obviously, we should take that absence seriously, you know? We should, we should be, like, sober-minded about that and, and think about what we're prioritizing over it. And what's at stake here is, is things like peace, things like joy in this life. And so the extent to which you are experiencing God um, is the extent to which you will experience joy in Him, you know? So it's like we feel lonely and miserable, uh, and, and we look up and we're like, gosh, like we're not experiencing God in those ways, individually or together with others. Go figure. You know, it's like a big surprise. And so those are the, those are the encouragements for us to, to commit to seek him. So in a minute, what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to sing again. But as you reflect on like this past year, which you guys are probably already doing as a part of the new year, um, as you reflect on this last year and you ask yourself, like, you know, what, what, is, what does 2023 need to look like 
in my life. Let's start here. Let's start with, with coming to God vulnerably and just admitting our, our weakness um, humbly. Um, and then ask him to help us to engage with him, engage with his, his word this, this year, maybe in a new way. So around this room, we're, we're here to help each other, just like this passage talked about. So we're here to help each other around this room. And, and if you need help getting connected or, or if you don't feel like you, you know how to, to go about some of these things, like we're here, we would love to help you. Just come see us with a connect card in the, in the lobby. And, and like, we're here to do that. Like that's our, that's our role is to help each other. So what I'm gonna do is, I want to I give you guys a minute just to consider and reflect on your own before we pray. And just consider this question. What's one way that God's calling you to respond in this new year? Not to earn his favor, not to earn his forgiveness, but because of his grace towards you, because of the love he's shown you. What is one way he's calling you to respond to him this new year? So I'm just going to give you about a minute um, in silence, and then I'll close this out in prayer. In, in prayer. Um, if you want to take that time, you don't have to close your eyes and look down if you don't want to, but just consider that question. What's one way God's calling you to respond? So I'll give you a minute. Father, I trust that you're, you're bringing things to mind. I trust that you'll use this time, you'll use uh, this passage to remind us of your grace towards us, um, that you'll use it to encourage us to consider this next year, to consider our lives, consider where we spend our time and, and priorities, and that you'll help us, that you'll shape um, our heart's desire, and, and point us more and more towards you, towards walking with you. I trust all these people um, to you and, and know that, that your love for them, your care for them, um, outmatches anything that we could show. Um, and we're so thankful for your grace. Help us to remember that. Help us to not add to the gospel, um, but help us to walk with you and experience you and be able to spot um, ways and, and, and messages that, that are deceiving people and pulling people away. Help us to, to hold fast to the true gospel. Do that in us um, by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.